This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and today I'm joined by a very inspirational woman. Her name is Samantha Tredelius. And Samantha is a mother, wife, philanthropist, and entrepreneur, and she's a supporter of all things she. Samantha really was a born go-getter from day one. She always knew she was destined to do big things. So armed with her brokerage license and a natural gift for being a connector, Samantha began her entrepreneurial journey by co-founding commercial coverage insurance agency CCIA alongside her husband. From very humble beginnings, the pair quickly turned CCIA into a wildly successful business valued at an impressive eight figures. Wow. Congratulations on that. Following her success with CCIA, Samantha knew it was time to lean into a passion that had inspired her from a very young age. Having never stopped thinking about the stories, her grandmother and hero, Gigi, and I love that name, and because I'm about to be a grandmother, I actually might even adopt that name. It's so good. Gigi would tell Samantha about raising three children as a single mom in the 1950s. Samantha always noticed that in all of her stories, her grandmother never mentioned anyone helping her or asking for help. She knew her grandmother had done everything she could do, as Samantha puts it, quote, to rub her nickels together to make everything possible for her children. Inspired by this story, Samantha wanted to utilize her skills as a self-starter and a born networker to create a nonprofit that provided the much-valued support that many single mothers need. Not one to waste any time, Samantha got straight to work in establishing the Sparkle Foundation. Love that. A nonprofit dedicated to helping single women throughout the Bay Area, the Inland Empire, and the cities of LA and Sacramento. In just a few short years, the Sparkle Foundation has seen an unprecedented amount of success thanks to Samantha's sheer determination and passion for giving back to her local community. The Sparkle Foundation supports single mothers and children with an array of initiatives, including enrichment scholarships for children, a Christmas holiday gift drive, and back-to-school backpack drive. In addition to the Sparkle Foundation, Samantha established Sparkle Biz, which provides microloans for female-owned small businesses and access to a large connected network. Since its founding back in 2016, the Sparkle Foundation has raised more than $1 million, with every dollar being reinvested in the community. Not when to stop there, Samantha wrote and self-published a book called Impact, Stories of Changemakers, Creators, and Everyday Women Doing Extraordinary Work. And we'll tell you at the end of the segment how you can get a copy of that book. And she is also the host of a growing weekly podcast, Inspired. I'm going to spell that. I-N-S-P-I-H-E-R in caps apostrophe D. Samantha's mission to support and uplift women shines through every project she takes on, and we are so delighted to meet her today. Samantha Shadelius, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. 
Hello, Judy. Thanks for having me. You're the ultimate hype girl. I need to have you around all the time. Samantha, right off the bat, related to you being inspired by your grandmother's stories, because I had a very close relationship with my late grandmother, Lillian Siblin. And I'm just wondering if you can tell me more about your Gigi, love her name, and what about her inspired you so deeply? She was so incredible. She was five foot tall, this tiny little thing, and just full of energy. Her ability to walk in a room and laugh and her infectiousness was just, I mean, everything. And I would spend every summer with her. And when I moved to San Francisco, she would then come down and spend months at a time with me. Once I started having my kids, she was very involved. I mean, she was just such a, just such an important part of my upbringing and my life. And, you know, everything that I now do is just as a result of her legacy, which is so fun to continue on. That's so fabulous. As mentioned off the top in my intro, you started a very successful insurance company. And interestingly, we just did a show with the author of a book called Angel Wealth Magic, which was really all about how to succeed as an entrepreneur and how to make money. And people can be funny about money and they they almost resist it. And I'm so curious to hear, was this a natural thing for you to be successful? Was it something you had to learn? Did you ever have a discomfort about money when you started? Uh, well, when I started, I was 23 years old, so I had no money. <laughs> so there was there was no discomfort about it. It was it was I had no idea even what it meant or or anything. I think success or succeeding was something that you know I don't want to say is meant in my blood. It was just one of those things that I was really instilled with at a young age from my parents, both being entrepreneurs and growing up in the insurance world. My family owns a licensing school for insurance, so that's kind of how I got into it. And when graduated college was like, okay, it's time to figure out what I want to do. And insurance just kind of made sense. So, you know, success as something that comes naturally, I don't think it comes naturally. I think if you work hard enough at anything, you can have it become successful, whatever that means to you. How did you go from zero to hero? Like, how did you go from having no money as a 23 year old? Like, can you share with, I have, I have an uncle who always listens to this show and says, I want to know how they did it. What was the process? What did they do to go from really not having anything to having an eight-figure income? That's quite a major leap. So I think the most interesting part was I was always the girl that worked. You know, in high school, I had a job. When I was in, you know, college, I was having, you know, a job. I always had jobs and I always wanted to work and be, you know, that making money and being a business person was important to me. So <laughs> working a lot. I think is the best advice I can say I did. I not even advice, just what I did. So while all my friends were traveling the world and messing around, I was going to work and I was waking up every day and buying insurance leads off the internet because that's what you did at the time, mm. 25 years ago. And I would smile and <laughs> dial and, and cold call. And you know, that's how I started my business. And I would go to networking meetings and I would go be around business owners or people that could refer me business and just put myself out there every single day. Even if I didn't want to, I knew that like, if this was going to work, I was going to have to work at it. So fabulous. I love that you said networking meetings. That's such a smart and great idea for people who may be stuck and not know where to move forward. And that's such a wonderful idea. You're also, and have always been such an advocate for women, supporting women-led businesses, encouraging women to take on roles of leadership. You've even described that you fell in love with how women work. What are some of those unique qualities you see in women that make them strong leaders and successful business owners? Women are relationship-based connectors and relationship-based business people. Mm -hmm. So for 
all of us gals out there in business, we're more inclined to do business with somebody we can connect with, or we can see eye to eye with, or we know is understanding what our needs are. And so I think that part of business and women was really something I gravitated towards and understanding, you know, it's not just about the quick sale. It's about, Hey, how can I help you grow and get to where you want to be with what I was selling, you know, whatever it was I was doing, but insurance in in my business space. So I just think the relationship-based part of women is the differentiator of us in the industry. So great. There's no question that finding your purpose is often directly related to being in service to other people. I always say that on this show. So I love your outward focused nature and would love if you could describe for all of us your brainchild, the Sparkle Foundation. What a great title, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. So when I was 23, I had started this insurance agency and, you know, in my spare time, wanted to do more, you know, to give back to the world and started doing some research on charities and different ways I could be impactful. And what I was finding was more times than not, a lot of these organizations were not as transparent with what they were doing as one would like. Mm -hmm. So if you donated $100, it wasn't going necessarily to help someone. It was going to buy lunch or pay admin. And that was something that I had a problem with. So I thought, well, like anything, you know, if you don't find what you want, you make it yourself. So I started originally when I was 23 with the Dear Santa program, which is a program through the U.S. Post Office at Mm -hmm. the time where kids would write to Santa. So all the letters would go into these big warehouses and you could go, they'd take your fingerprints and do your background check. So you weren't a psycho. And then you could go and read letters that kids would write with their address. And you could then go gift them the gifts for Christmas. So that's how I started. And I would always pick families that were like, dad wasn't there or it was just a mom and the kids, you know, they would write that it was just them and their mom and their, their Hmm. baby sister or brother. And year after year, it just grew. And so by 2015, I was doing, I think we had 17 families we were doing here out of my house and was raising, I think I raised $37,000 that year, just me being me. Um, And so, so then it was like, Hey, this is like working. People are into it. We're farm to table, the whole experience. So you meet the families, you find out what they need, you go buy what they need, and then you go deliver it. So it was really just this whole experience full circle. Mm. So I decided that, you know, obviously I could do more if I had a little bit more legitimacy. And so forming the 501c3 was something I probably needed to do. So I did it. That was a huge undertaking. And seven years later, here we are. We now have three different chapters in California. We have served over 10,000 lives in different capacities over these last seven years and brought in closer to $1.8 million as of last year. We've we've done some great stuff year to year. 100% volunteer, which is important to me, and 100% of every dollar that goes in goes right back out, which is why I started it in the first place. We do Holiday Gift Drive, which is our mainstay where we started. We do enrichment scholarships for extracurricular programs and backpacks in the fall. Mm. And then we also have our microloan program, which we discussed earlier, which is Sparkle Biz, which are microloans to single moms that want to start or grow their business. We funded our first one and 21, it's almost paid back and we're ready to start and fund round two uh, in the next three months. Fabulous. Congratulations. Just a couple of questions. 501c3, what does that mean? Because some of my listeners won't know. Yeah. So in the States here, we're in California. If you want to be a legitimate nonprofit, which means that someone can donate money and you can give a tax receipt, you have to become a 501c3, which is recognized by the IRS. And it's a big, crazy, hard 
process to get. It's not like, it's not an easy thing to do. So that took in its own right about six months to get accomplished. Was there a moment in the Christmas toy drive or in the after school backpack drive or in any of this, a moment, an epiphany that just stands out above all the rest, a moment where you just went, yeah, this is why I do this. You know, it's, it's funny because every year there's that one moment, but as you know, I've gone on and, you know, become a little bit more, I wouldn't by any means say I'm like a local little celebrity, but people know who I am around here (laughs) and I'll be at the market and I'll have my hat on and our shirt that'll say sparkle on it. Somebody will come up to me and say, you know, you don't know me, but you have no idea what you've done for my family Mm -hmm. or what you were able to provide for my children. And those moments, I mean, they just, it puts a face with the process Mm -hmm. and it really, it's an emotional process for me because you almost don't know how to handle that to be able to have such an impact. But those, those moments, they hit me hard and they are very special and they are 100% what keeps me going every year. Samantha, do you have a team of elves? It's not just you, I would think. Who is the team? And tell us a little bit about that. I am only the woman I am based upon the team around me. <laughs> so my board is uh, made up of seven individuals, all it's six women and one man. And they are the lifeline of the organization. And then we have on average about 400 volunteers every year that help us. So there's a lot of different people that come in at different times to wrap gifts, to stuff backpacks, to deliver backpacks. We do um, gratitude boxes, which was something we started in COVID, where we um, create boxes of... A lot of the stores had a lot of products that were shelved and not selling, or they needed to donate you know, skincare, nail polishes, fun things. And so we were able to create boxes and we did a thousand boxes for nurses. We've done law enforcement, fire, teachers small business owners. Mm. We've done a lot of different things. So a lot of people, it's, it's all hands on deck all the time around here. Are your volunteers mostly made up of students and retired people? Like how do you access the volunteers? We have a ton of student volunteers, which I love child labor. They are amazing. <laughs> they work so hard, but it's also a lot of families. So it's a lot of mother daughters or, you know, dads are here too. Nice. Um, business owners, community members, we see it all and people know what we do. And it's a great way to actually, a lot of organizations, you donate money and you don't always know where it goes. With our organization, I find it so important to actually give people that experience to hand off Mm -hmm. and give and see exactly where that $100 went. Mm. So, you know, a lot of people will love to go deliver gifts because it's such a great experience or hand off a backpack at our multiple different events that we throw. So yeah, I mean, we get all kinds. We love, we love it all. So great. Where do you do all your Christmas gift wrapping? Do you have a a location? Because I'd love to see a picture that I could share with our audience of what it looks like. Yes, I'll send you some. And you can also, uh, on our website, we have a lot of footage of just past events. We have multiple locations and every year we grow and we outgrow the locations that we're at. So we've been at a couple different churches in town here. We've been at vacant office buildings. As long as I got a roof and a, <laughs> a lights, I can, I, we can wrap gifts anywhere. That's fabulous. It used to be in my house, which for years it was here in my home. But last year we did 70 families and it was just way too much. Do you, Have you mastered the art of the perfect gift wrap? Do you know how to do the best little corners? And, and... You know what's funny <laughs> is after all these years, you won't find me wrapping gifts. <laughs> you... I, will, I will do everything. <laughs> else. But the day that we get to wrapping is the day that I am like, 
I'm done. I've done it all. And now I just let everybody else. Yes. I, I just kind of sit behind and make sure everything goes the way it's supposed yes, to go. You oversee, you oversee it all. You also have a, I don't know when you have time for this, but you also have a very successful podcast. And I just heard your 100th podcast episode. Can you tell us more about your podcast, Inspire Heard, and how that all got started? So that was a COVID baby. Uh, my girlfriend and I decided we had all these wonderful women in our life. They're doing some amazing things. And as you know, unless you have a huge platform or you're rich and famous, or you've had some type of trauma or big event happen, many times your stories don't get told. Yes. So we thought, well, we know these, we know a lot of cool ladies. Like let's, let's just do this. So we started, um, and now we're in our third season. We've recorded over 140 episodes of women from all over the world doing amazing things, moving the needle in different ways. I like to say it's women that get up and do more than just breathe every day. And so it may be a woman who had a big corporate job and then decided like, this is not what I want to do anymore. And she totally turned and took a left turn and is now making jewelry or yes. advocating for a cause or, you know, finding her way and, and maybe fallen and gotten up. And yes. now she's here to tell her story. So it's been really fun. We've had activists, advocates, you know, makers, creators, service providers, wow. medical professionals, all the above. So cool. So cool. That's fabulous. You're, you've also written a book called Impact, Stories of Change Makers, Creators, and Everyday Women Doing Extraordinary Work. I'm sure it's a lot of the women from the podcast are in this book. Can you tell us more about the book and how it sprang to life? Another COVID baby. So COVID 2020, I turned 40. And as all of us were sitting at home trying to figure out who the heck we were, I was like, you know, I am only the woman I am because of these wonderful women around me. And so what started off as the 31 days of March Women's Month, I would do posts on Facebook every day of a woman in my life who inspired me or has motivated me. I took her picture and I wrote a little blurb. And by mid-month, the 15th or so, I was like, I think I'm I think this could be a book. <laughs> and so I, you know, reached out to a group that did that and we talked and Next thing I knew, nine months later, we had a book. So it's twenty. I think it's 21 stories of just women from my mother to my grandmother to women I work with, mentors, people I admire, everything in between. And just their stories of being amazing. So fantastic. Is there, I'm sure many of them are, but is there one that's really had a profound impact on you? You know, I think my grandmother's story is the one that I love the most just because I've learned and I walk so much for her now. Mm-hmm. I mean, every single one of them, I couldn't even pick one actually, because they're all so near and dear and special to me. And the best thing was, was when I had the actual official book launch, I had them all there in, they all came except for one. And it was this amazing powerhouse group of oh. women that just looking around the room, it was like, pinch me. How do I even know these women? They're so great. That's fabulous. To all of the women listening today who are interested in starting a project, business, foundation, whatever it may be that they're passionate about, what is your advice? How do we begin to see ourselves as leaders and change makers? Well, I think we all are leaders and change makers and it's maybe, you know, unpacking or unzipping and seeing, seeing her in there. You know, I think a lot of women, you know, have fear of what are people going to think or are people going to like it? And my biggest piece of advice is you don't need to care what people think. You need to be doing what you want to do for you. And I think that, you know, putting that one step in front of the other and getting up and just trying something new. And if it doesn't work or you need to shift around, I mean, man, we've all learned over the last three years that life is very unexpected. So true. And the things that are going to come our way are curveballs we never even thought were imaginable. So 
You know, you don't want to wake up one day and say, I wished I would have. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely true. There's a question we ask everyone at the end of the show. So of course, we're going to ask you our favorite question as well. What is bliss for Samantha Tredelius? Purpose. Purpose is my bliss. Having purpose, waking up every day and knowing I can make a difference for someone or something is my driver. Nice. I love that. We are so aligned because that's so what this show is all about is having a purpose. And you see this even in an older person when they have a purpose, whatever it may be, a reason to get up in the morning, a purpose, life just makes more sense, right? And life is just a little more alive and happy and wonderful. So absolutely. I remember one of my board members said many moons ago, is like, where you have the ability, you have the responsibility. And that is to give back and to do good for other people. And those are words I have always are in the back of my head. Like, We've got this amazing ability to make a difference out there and whatever that may be for you. So it might not be helping single moms. It might be helping animals or helping mother earth or whatever it is. Find your purpose, find something that drives you, find your bliss. Absolutely. That, that's, so that's our jam. That's what I like to do as a life coach is help people connect to their bliss. So I, I just applaud you for being really like a light and an angel on this planet, making the world a better place. It's so great to meet you. You're such an inspiring person. What is the best way? Samantha for people to get in touch with you, contact you, follow you on social media. I love it. I made it really easy. SamanthaTredelius.com. You can go there and find all the things, books, podcasts, Sparkle, insurance, all of it. It's all there. Fantastic. And if people want to order a copy of the book, it's right on your website. I saw it. That's fabulous and so great. Continued success. And thank you so much for being on Finding Your Bliss today. Thanks for having me. What a joy. Thank you. We're going to go on a short commercial break and more with Finding Your Bliss and therapist Jamie Sable when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. Hi, everyone. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And back on the show for Mental Health Awareness Month, I'm joined by Jamie Sable. Jamie Sable is a psychotherapist and organizational consultant who has over a decade of experience providing counseling and consulting in the healthcare and in the weight loss industry. She works within a variety of areas, including stress, anxiety, depression, couples-related issues, communication and conflict resolution, alcohol and substance abuse, eating disorders, infertility and IVF, and weight management. 
She holds a master's degree in counseling and organizational industrial psychology, and she began working in the field of mental health in 2002. She has worked with Accenture's talent and organizational work group as an analyst for Fortune 500 companies. She is a registered member of the College of Registered Psychotherapists of Ontario, a fellow of Massey College, and a published author. I don't know if you can see the book in the background there, Hungry Heart, and she's been on the show to talk about that before but we'll talk about it again, of course. And so she is a published author in the Individual Journal of Psychology as well. Jamie Sable, welcome back to Finding Your Bliss. Thank you so much, Judy. What are you hearing the most these days, Jamie, in regards to mental health issues? I'm hearing stress. Stress is showing up across the board. I mean, statistics show that 80% of people will go through some mental health challenge. And so there's a lot more stress than there was before that's coming to the surface. And that's showing up in individuals, in younger and younger kids I'm seeing. It's showing up in relationships. You know, when we were in the pandemic or pre-pandemic, I think a lot of couples, you know, there's a tendency sort of sometimes to avoid and this one goes to work, this one goes to work. And and so they sort of are passing ships oftentimes. And so when we were put into this isolation, people were sort of forced to be together and all of their stuff that was coming that had been under the rug was really starting to surface and people really needed to look at what was happening for them in their relationships and where they were finding disconnection and looking for ways to find their way back to each other with the help Mm -hmm. of counseling. So I'm just, I'm seeing it across the board. Everyone's stress levels are just still very, very high. Yes. What would you say has been the fallout? Because, you know, COVID is over, but is it really over? I keep hearing more and more cases. We're still very much in it. What has been the fallout and what is your prescription for more happiness and well-being, even with COVID, because we're living with it? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a good point. I think we are, from what I understand anyway, I think we are living with it. And and while during, you know, summer months and it seems to have sort of gone away, from my understanding, we'll see it like the regular flu. And so... I think that, like to your point, we have to find a way to live with it and, you know, protect ourselves physically with vaccinations, but emotionally as well. And really armoring ourselves up emotionally to make sure that we're okay, right? Yes. You know, I one of the questions I was asked before today, and I've been asked this by a number of Zoomers in their 80s, actually, mm. who've become very phobic about COVID. Mm. There are many who stay close to home, not venturing out at all. I actually have a close relative who's afraid to travel at all, mm-hmm. afraid to be outside in restaurants, in the theater or anywhere because she's so frightened about getting COVID because she's never had mm-hmm. it. And I know many other people who are feeling the same way. What do you say to people elderly people in their 80s, 90s, who are so afraid and are isolating themselves to get back to normal life and not be so afraid to be social beings again. Mm-hmm. It's really hard eh? because that's the basis of it is there's so much fear that comes up, right? And so I think it's more about how do you find some safety with where they are rather than sort of pulling them out, you know, and I, ha- I have that as well. I've got parents, you know, in their 80s as well. And so, you know, we would, again, you know, if you pull up 40,000 feet, it's more about the goal is connection and how do we spend time together in a way that's going to make you safe and comfortable and whether that's, 
let's go into the backyard and have a barbecue outside or we'll wear masks and coming up with ways that can kind of meet them with where they are in their fears Mm -hmm. while also Mm -hmm. trying to have that sense of connection and time together, which is really important for that mental health piece, right? People who are social, they live longer and they recover faster you know, emotionally. Absolutely. How do we recognize the signs and symptoms of stress and anxiety before they become unmanageable? Because anxiety is obviously the number one mental health issue that everyone faces, Canadians all face this. But how do we know when it's getting out of control and we've got to really pull it back? Right. How do we prevent the cold rather than cure it? Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a good question. And oftentimes there are certain things that will, ways in which they show up that we wouldn't normally expect. And so what I like to do is sort of a body scan and I start at the top of my head and, you know, I think about concentration. Is there any difficulty concentrating? Is there, are you feeling more angry than normal, more anxious? Are you feeling more apathy? And then I sort of go down my body and I go to the eyes and I go, okay, (laughs) sleeping, what's sleeping like for you? Are you, has it changed in any way? Are you sleeping? too much? Are you not able to sleep at all, either falling asleep or staying asleep? You know, then I go eating habits. Have that changed at all? And, you know, as we know, when I get stressed, I mean, with sick kids this week, you know, I just sort of declared, I said, McDonald's is happening today. That's how it's, that's how it's going to go down today. Like that's, can I come? Yeah, can that's I come right. when you go? <laughs> that's right. So eating habits, right? And then we sort of move down the body and we go, you know, a muscle tension. Is there muscle tension anywhere? Yes. Stomach problems, you know, irritability. And so we work our way down the body and then we sort of check in which one of these things are, are showing up for us. And to what degree, and this is, this is really the measure for me is to what degree are they impairing or impeding my ability to function in my daily tasks? And by Mm -hmm. daily tasks, I mean, you know, my ability to be a mother, right? If I, I find, if I'm getting more impatient and, you know, we all know mothering is very, very difficult and you're going to lose your patience at moments. But I find if I'm getting more impatient than normal with my children, my daughter, that sort of sends my ears sort of perking up. But so the tasks would be personal relationships. If it's impeding there, if you're fighting more, causing more fights, feeling more disconnected, impeding your ability to function socially, right? If you're isolating yourself, right? Completely isolating yourself and removing yourself from connections, that would be sort of like a, hmm, maybe some Mm. getting time to get curious about maybe something's going on with you Mm -hmm. and work tasks as well. If you're making mistakes, if you're not concentrating, if you're not getting it done, you're showing up Mm -hmm. late, it's going to show up in work as well and community as well, right? So these are sort of the personal social work where I kind of do a, how you doing across these different spaces and is something going on here? But I think the most important piece is getting curious. I think it's that curiosity with compassion, Mm -hmm. without judgment, rather than judgment, you're messing up, you're making mistakes, you're being a bad mother. And I think we often go into that. And I think we need to really try to switch gears and reframe from a compassionate and curiosity standpoint, go, hey, Mm. you know, I've seen these things, what's going on with you? 
and starting really from that curiosity lens. And let's say it is a couple thing or a personal thing that you're isolating yourself. What do you do once you've checked in, you've been curious, you have the information, yeah, this is not feeling as good right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if it's a couple's thing, can is this something that you can feel safe enough to be able to check in with your partner? To be able to lean in and go, hey, something doesn't, something doesn't feel right, right? Mm-hmm. Is there safety enough or is there an issue with your partner, right? Friends, you know, I was just reading Michelle Obama's second book and she talks oh. about the kitchen table, right? Yes. And having this group of women around her kitchen table and having a, a safety net for them to be able to lean into. So, mm-hmm. you know, can you turn to one of your friends, lean into one of your friends to say, hey, something's going on here? And counselors, I mean, that's what we're here for, right? To be able to get curious about this stuff with you without judgment to be able to peel away that layer a little bit and go, okay, Mm -hmm. so here's what's happening. Let's get curious about your coping strategies. What is Mm -hmm. it about? What are you coping with? And Mm -hmm. what's underneath that? What's the root of it? And how do we process that together and develop more tools and skills so that you can manage the stuff on your own, to your point, before it gets to to the eight or nine? Right. What are some mental health helplines? I know certainly we're going to give information about how you can get in touch with Jamie Sable at the end of the show and connect with her if you'd like to have a session. We will make that information available. What are some other mental health helplines that people can reach out to if they're feeling anxious or depressed and want to get some help? That's a great question. I'm going to give you a list just so I don't ramble off numbers, but I'm going to give you a few different numbers as well that people can call into for sure. That's awesome. But some great, awesome. really, really great ones. Yeah, we'll have that for yeah, you at the for end sure. of the show and that'll be that'll be wonderful. So I have to tell you yesterday, Jamie, Gordon Lightfoot passed away mm. and it's fascinating that music has the ability to make us so happy and also to make us so sad because yesterday I could not stop crying. Mm. If you could read My Mind Love, that was the song. <laughs> and I literally could not stop crying. And I know that people, certainly Canadians and people all over the world were feeling the same way who grew up listening to Gordon Lightfoot and finding bliss in his music. Do you have any thoughts on how we can actually use things like music and the arts to improve our mental health? Mm -hmm. And is it okay to be crying your eyes out when you listen to a Gordon Lightfoot tune on a day like yesterday? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. You feel it. I mean, first and foremost, you give yourself that space and that permission to just feel it and let it come through you, right? When we block it or we stop it, that's where we get into trouble, right? Mm -hmm. And so the most effective way is to sort of almost as if like, you know, you're standing on the train platform and watching the train come in and this is, you know, the train of grief, right? Or struggle. And you watch it. You're like, it's coming in. It's coming in. This is going to suck. This is, yep, it sucks. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks. And there it goes. And letting it pass, but letting it come in, right? Mm -hmm. And feeling it because you are feeling it. And that is grief is the right emotion for loss, right? I would be more worried if there wasn't grief there, right? Mm -hmm. So I think first and foremost, it's giving ourselves permission and the space to be able to feel that grief and move through that grief, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's the most important thing. But I love what you said about using music as sort of a, a medium for mental health. A hundred percent. Like one of the, the main things, you know, I have these sort of 10 tools that I use 
to manage my mental health, it's sort of like just throwing darts at it. It's like, throw <laughs> something's going to stick, right? Just keep throwing them at it. And sometimes it's, you know, it's a combination of things. But one of the things that I find very helpful is hobbies. And hobbies is really important and especially creative ones for a number of reasons. Number mm-hmm. one, it gives us a sense of control when we're obviously experiencing something that is very much out of our control, right? Yeah. So hobbies is, is a great form of control. It's a great opportunity for social connection. I mean, that was the basis for, you know, for me joining Unsung Heroes was social connection. And so it was this hobby of dance and song and, and acting that really brought together this family and my own family, right? So it, yes. it, it works. It really, it really does work, <laughs> right? It really does work. So hobbies and specifically creative ones are a great way to build connections, have a sense of control, and it also gives you a sense of accomplishment, a sense of achievement, which then triggers that sort of those dopamine, right? Feelings. Yes. And the emotion, the just one last point around just the creative stuff, it's an emotional release. Yes. It's an emotional so expression. Wonderful. When we're singing, when we're dancing, when we're creating, you're releasing emotion. What Jamie's also talking about is Unsung Heroes Productions. Her husband is Neil DeLynn, the founder, and it's just a beautiful production that every year gives to wonderful charities. And it's their 10th and final year this year. It's coming up in October, and I'm going to tell you guys more about that closer to the event. Maybe we'll have some singers on from the event to promote that. I'd love to go back to your book for a moment, Hungry Heart, which I have right there on that table. I've read it. It's beautiful. I know we've talked about it before on the show, but can you just tell our listeners a little bit more about this book and how it can help them? So the book was really about, it was about my experience personally and professionally as a clinician working with adolescents and adults who had been struggling with weight issues. And they had tried diet after diet and exercise program and so many of the solutions out there with with respect to weight are diet and exercise. And people kept continuously coming into my office and saying, I know what I'm supposed to be eating. I know what I'm supposed to be doing for exercise. I'm not doing it. I don't understand what's happening. And I continue to go through McDonald's drive-thru, you know, to which I would respond and say, have a seat, get comfortable. And, you know, the chair would go back and, you know, clean its (laughs) box would pop out and and off we go. And so when we talk about weight, there's a significant component here that seems to have been missing from this solution that is emotionally based, that we Mm -hmm. use food as a coping strategy, the way that we would use shopping or gambling or alcohol or drugs. It's a consumptive, temporary relief from Mm -hmm. our stress, anxiety, depression, or whatever we're going through, it's a temporary relief. And the science shows that when we eat foods that are high in fat and sugar, it temporarily blocks our stress receptor cells. So that's Mm -hmm. why we get like an immediate sense of like, now we feel crappy afterwards. Right. But in that moment, that's why we turn to those foods. We're not turning to carrots and celery. Right. So this book was about presenting some case studies of people who have, including myself, who have gone through, continue to go through emotional eating. And so it's about building awareness around these issues and Mm -hmm. being able to give people some tools as well. 
and skills that they can start to work through this stuff on their own. If you know anyone who's struggling with their weight or has any weight issues that they're having a difficult time with, this is a wonderful book that really has so many helpful tips and hints and techniques, and it's fantastic. So I encourage you all to get it. It's called Hungry Heart. Even though we've come a long way, Jamie, we all know that mental health is wealth, especially during Mental Health Awareness Month, which is celebrated all this month in May. And yet there's still a stigma around mental health and treatment. People hesitate to seek help or even talk about it with their loved ones for fear of being judged or facing some unnecessary backlash. If we suspect that someone is really suffering or struggling, what are some things that we can do to intervene and help them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think there still is the stigma. We've certainly come a long way. And while there's a lot of sort of downside to the social media, I think one of the upsides is that kids and teens are openly talking about this. And, Mm -hmm. you know, celebrities are talking about this, which creates a sense of permission and normalcy. You know, there was a Mm -hmm. scene in Sex and the City many years ago where the main character is talking to her best friend. And he says, well, I have one therapist when I need tough love. And I have this therapist when I want some coddling. And I have this therapist when I need to do my trauma work. And, (laughs) you know, there's a joke about it. So there's, we've come further down the road. There's still more work to be done. But... But how do we get people the help that they need? I think it's first and foremost, being able to, to reach out to that person, to connect mm-hmm. to that person and, and say, you know, I'm here. I love you. Here's what I'm seeing. How can I be here for you? What is it that you need to feel more connected or to mm-hmm. feel more loved and supported by me? Lovely. That's so lovely. I know you're very into health and fitness, Jamie. And isn't it true that exercise is one of the best antidotes to help lessen the effects of anxiety? How much should people be exercising? What do you recommend to people to do in terms of walking and exercising each week? Yeah. So it's a good question. I like to aim for, you know, 30 to 60 minutes a day of something. It doesn't have to be you know, sumo wrestling or, you know, a marathon or anything, just go outside for a walk for Mm -hmm. 30 minutes. You know, when I'm sitting, like even as a therapist, I'm sitting all day in session. I notice at the end of the day, when I'm up and my body is moving around, I notice that the mood lifts as well. So just 20 to 60 minutes, go out for a walk, getting the fresh air, Get a playlist that you love, you know. So true. And just get out there. Go with someone else as well. Get a walking partner. Yes, absolutely. Such great advice. What is the best way for someone to find a therapist? And again, Jamie Sable is available. She has a busy practice, but I, I, I know she will be available for some of you out there. What is the best way for people to go about getting a therapist? Mm -hmm. So there's a few websites that you can find great therapists. One of them is Psychology Today. That's a great website. There is another website called Theravive, where you can find a lot of therapists as well. And then there's a, a third one that I really like called Good Therapy hmm. as well, that you can find websites. But you can always Google or or sometimes um, what people really like is asking someone else, getting a referral. Yes. That way they're not sort of starting Wonderful. from scratch. But if you're starting from scratch, you know, my recommendation would be do a phone consultation with like three or four, just so you can get a sense of personality and style to see who you feel comfortable with and who you feel would be a good fit for you. And then try a session. What is your main mental health awareness May tip of the month this month that we're focusing and being mindful about this topic? I think the awareness is is that key piece. And so how do we become aware 
I think we start by getting curious, going back to that curiosity and compassion piece and looking inwards mm-hmm. and going, doing a check. How am I doing personally? How am I doing with myself? How am I doing with my relationships? How am I doing with my friendships? How am I doing with my work? And seeing if there's any sort of markers that are kind of catching up. Am I not sleeping? And how's my eating? And how are my connections, my irritability? And just getting curious. But again, mm-hmm. with compassion, without mm-hmm. any judgment, right? Or punishment. Nice. nice. That sounds so lovely. I know that mental health is a key component for finding your bliss. What is bliss these days for Jamie Sable? Oh my goodness. There's a lot of bliss. There's a lot of bliss. <laughs> my, my two little girls, happy and, and healthy, my partner. It's the little moments I find. It's the little moments of, you know, my daughter coming home and saying, Hey, let's, let's curl up and watch a movie together (laughs) at the end of the day with some popcorn. Or, you know, when I, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I see, you know, Keaton has found her way into a little bed beside (laughs) my bed. You know, I just see like long little curls coming out or I come downstairs and I just hear mommy from the 15 year old who's bum scooching at this point. So she's just bum scooching her way over to me. Um, and watching a show at the end of the day, you know, with my husband and curling up together. And I don't know if he'll be happy if I share this, but he just <laughs> left me a voicemail just singing. I just called to say, I love you on my voicemail. And, uh, and it's just the little moments and building those moments, right. And marking those moments at the end of each day and going, what was great today? What are three great moments that you made today? Yes. So big, so huge gratitude at the end of the day. We just did a happiness show that's airing soon with Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar, who taught the happiness course at Harvard. That's exactly what he says. The gratitude list, five things if you can, the end of every day, it's huge because it helps you be even more grateful, which leads to happiness and, and well-being. That's right. Is what, what we're after. And they did show that studies show that people who practice gratitude regularly, they actually, the struggles that they go through are less and the bumps mm-hmm. that they hit are less themselves and they recover wow. faster. So That's gratitude so is huge. Jamie, it's always so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being on Finding Your Bliss Thank today. You. What is the best way for us to contact you, follow you on social media? and get in touch with you if somebody wants uh, your services as a therapist or to get a copy of your book. Yep. So best way would probably be through email uh, or my my website, www.sabletlc.com. And let's spell that for everybody. It's S-A-I-B-I-L-T-L-C.com. Awesome. This was fun. Thank you. Thank you you so much, Judy. Thanks, Jamie. Okay. If you're struggling or know someone who is struggling, here are some resources that you can reach out to for help. So the first one is the Distress Center of Toronto at 416-408-4357. The Gerstein Crisis Center at 416-929-5200. The Assaulted Women's Helpline at 416-863-0511. The Suicide and Crisis Hotline, Canada-wide, at 1-800-448-3000. The Mental Health Crisis Line, also Canada-wide, at 1-888-893-8333. And the Indian Residential Schools Crisis Line, also Canada-wide, at 1-866-925-4419.
Each week, we spotlight a fabulous person like Jamie Sable, who is living their bliss. So if you're an author, artist, yoga, meditation, mindfulness expert, therapist, life coach, or really anyone who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. We also love to feature singers and musicians on this show. So if you're a singer, please reach out to us. Also, what did you love about today's show? Are there any guests or topics you would love us to feature on Finding Your Bliss? Just write to us at fyb at findingyourbliss.com. I'm also a life coach. If I can help you in any way, let me know. You can reach out and contact me at findingyourbliss.com slash coaching. I'm on Insight Timer, the number one meditation app that is free. And finally, you can always follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. We're going to go on a short commercial break. And when we come back, we will be paying tribute to the legendary and beloved Canadian folk singer, Gordon Lightfoot. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. Before we close out the show today with one of my favorite Gordon Lightfoot songs and our special tribute to him, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone for making this episode possible. So of course, we would like to thank our wonderful guests, Samantha Tredelius and Jamie Sable for being back on the show today. Also, thank you to Meg Ruffman, Siobhan Kiley, producer Nayira Amani, associate producer Olivia Weatherall, audio engineer Juliana Yanitsiello, senior editor Lauren Kaminsky, video editor Sierra Brown-Rodriguez, audio producer Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. And now to close out the show today, we wanted to pay tribute to the legendary Canadian folk music icon, singer-songwriter Gordon Lightfoot, who achieved international success in folk, folk rock, and country music. Gordon Lightfoot passed away this past May, and we send out light, love, and our heartfelt condolences to his family, many friends and fans all over the world. One of Canada's most successful contemporary folk artists, many of his songs are masterpieces, including one of my favorites that I wanted to share with you today. If you could read my mind, which made him an international star. Here is If You Could Read My Mind by Gordon Lightfoot. Let's all have a listen. For all of us at Finding Your Bliss, I'm Judy Liebrach, remembering Gordon Lightfoot. May he rest in peace. We know that his music and the bliss that he brought to so many will live on forever. 
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.